Hey everybody, this is Terry McLeish from CaternixCorner.com, and this is the Caternix Corner Podcast, a weekly show dedicated to helping you in your journey with Caternix Oil. In this episode, we'll be talking about some of the gear and equipment you'll need to get started with Caternix and where you can obtain them. So there are a few pieces of equipment that you'll want to have prior to purchasing your first set of hatching eggs or your first set of live birds, and also some stuff that you may need later on as you progress. Okay, so probably the most used piece of equipment and probably the most important piece of equipment you'll have is your housing for your quail or your cages. Now, there are a couple different options that you have available to you. Uh, You can purchase commercially built cages, or if you are handy with tools and woodworking, you could actually build some pretty nice cages, uh, DIY cages or do-it-yourself cages, we call them. Uh, A couple options that are available commercially. Uh, one is by a company called Hatching Time. They build a, a solid ABS plastic cage, uh, which they uh, advertise as being very hygienic and very easy to clean. Um, I actually do use the Hatching Time cages, and I'm very happy with them. Uh, there are some modifications that can be made to the cages, which will make them just a little bit uh, more uh, useful and adaptable in your situation. But I'm really, I'm really happy with the hatching time cages. Um, like they say, they are very easy to keep clean, and the birds do very well in them. Uh, another option is a commercially produced all-wire cage, and there's a company out in California called Winola Ranch, and they've got a pretty decent selection of all-wire cages if you want to check them out. But probably the most popular are the home-built cages, and I think that's because they can be built less expensively, and they can be built to fit your specific needs. Uh, Depending on your situation, you may only need a small cage if you're only planning on keeping a few quail. Uh, But if you want to have a larger operation, you may need to design and build several battery type style cages. But whatever you decide, make sure that the cages are built to safely keep your quail and to provide protection from predators and injury. Okay, so once you've got your your cages set up, um, there are a few accessories uh, that you might want to have uh, to go along with your cages. And one is how you're going to be dealing with the manure from your birds. Um, In most cases, uh, cages that are being kept outside uh, usually just allow the droppings to fall through the floor of the cage and right onto the ground. A lot of people will set up like a, uh, um, a small composting heap either under the cage or off to the side of the cage and uh, take care of the manure that way. But for those that are keeping your cages uh, indoors or inside like a barn, uh, especially if you have a stacked uh, cage system, uh, you're going to want some type of manure trays uh, to be able to slide in and out from underneath your cages. And now what's worked really well for me are your standard automotive drip pans. Uh, You can purchase them, you know, at any auto parts store. Uh, the measurements on those are 36 inches wide by 24 inches deep, and they work really well for sliding underneath the cages. I've actually used them on all my wood frame cages. I've also used them, uh, currently used them on my all wire cages. Uh, being 36 inches wide, that is how I designed the width of my cages. And another nice thing about them is they fit perfectly underneath the hatching time cages. So what I did was I took the supplied uh, plastic manure tray that hatching time uh, ships with the cages, and I think that thing measures 
36 inches wide by 18 inches deep. Uh, and I replaced them with the automotive drip pans, which measure 36 by 24. So I get a little more depth on the cage and that just helps uh, prevent the birds from pooping out the back side of the cage and having it, you know, fall on the floor or on the front side of the cage, having it fall into the feeder on the cage below. Um, speaking of feeders, that's another uh, thing that you're, you're going to need for your cages. Uh, there are several different styles of feeders that you can either purchase or make. One of the cheapest feeders that I've ever used was a standard shoebox uh, type feeder. It's basically a Sterilite plastic tub designed for storing shoes. And what I did was take a, a one inch or an inch and a quarter hole saw and drill holes along both sides of the feeder. And then you fill that up with feed, put the top on it, stick it inside the cage. And that works really well. The shoebox feeder also will save you a lot of wasted feed. Uh, it, it works really good at, at uh, keeping the birds from kicking the feed out of the cage. Okay, and a couple other styles of feeders that work really well um, are the J feeder and the trough feeder. Uh, the J feeder is pretty much a commercially produced feeder that mounts on the outside of the cage, but the trough part of the J feeder is on the inside of the cage. And if you're going to use those, I would recommend doing a modification to the trough part of that J feeder. Uh, which is basically you're just hanging a grate, like either one by one or one inch by two inch uh, welded wire over top of that trough. That's going to keep the birds from kicking the feed out of the J feeder. Um, but they, they work really well. And the nice thing about them is because the feeder is on the outside of the cage, you don't have to open the cage to access the feeder or to fill the feeder. And like the J feeder, the trough feeder is also mounted on the outside of the cage. The only difference being is the uh, birds now have to stick their head through the wire of the cage to be able to access the feed uh, in the trough. And you can actually build your own trough feeders uh, using PVC pipe, uh, but trough feeders are available commercially uh, if you don't want to build your own. Um, I would recommend also putting a grate over top of the feed just to help uh, a little bit with feed being kicked around and feed loss. So the next thing I want to talk about is feed storage containers. Um, you got to have a place to, to store your feed. Uh, you don't want to leave it in the bag unless you're, you know, you're indoors and you know that there's no uh, rodents or anything running around in, where you keep your birds. Uh, because they will get into the feed bags and, and you know try to eat the feed. Uh, but what I do is I, I use a 40-gallon plastic garbage fan, can. I actually have two of them. Uh, one is for my uh, grower feed, and the other is for my layer feed. And I can fit uh, two 50-pound bags inside one of those cans. So I can, I can keep on hand, I can keep a, you know, a total of 200 pounds of feed. Another really uh, uh, helpful tool to have for your uh, feed storage container is one of those feed scoops. Uh, it's just, I think they're available in, in several different sizes. Uh, the one that I'm using, I think, is a three-pound scoop. Um, you can pick them up at like Tractor Supply. Uh, they run just over five bucks a piece. Uh, they're not very expensive, and, and they're used for a lot of other things. I mean, I use them for, for all kinds of stuff in the shop, not just, uh, you know, scooping feed out of the bucket and, and putting it into the into the uh, feeders um sometimes i'll go out and uh 
when I when I'm picking up stuff out in the aviary, I'll, I'll have that thing with me. I'll fill the feed up, and then I'll collect eggs and put them inside that uh, in that little uh, feed scoop just to get them inside the house. So uh, the next thing I want to talk about is waters. And for waters, what I use um, for my chicks that are freshly hatched out up until the time they go into the grow out cages are the plastic quart bottles. Um, they're available again at Tractor Supply, but I also use the small basin on them. Um, it's not the regular size poultry basin. Um, some people do use the, the larger basin and what they'll do is they'll put marbles in it uh, to keep the chicks from getting in the water and getting wet. Uh, potentially drowning. But I, I use the small basin. I don't, I don't put anything in there. What I'll do is I'll, I'll space, I'll place the, uh, the basin on top of a six inch by six inch ceramic tile inside the brooder. And that just keeps the chicks from kicking, you know, pine shavings and whatnot up into the, the uh, little plastic uh, basin. And what I'll do is when I, when I go to transition them from the brooders into the grow out pens, I will actually keep them on that quart uh, water bottle for about another week um, because all my grow out pens also have the uh, poultry watering cups in them. And what I'll do is I will depress that little plunger inside the poultry watering cups uh, to fill the cups up with water, but I'll, I'll leave the, the quart bottle in there. That way, until they can figure out that, okay, these watering cups are another source of water, they can still access that, that quart water bottle, and uh, I don't have to worry about them, you know, going without water. And usually, I'll do that probably for about a week. Um, I, I just watch the birds. When I, when I notice more of them are drinking out of the poultry watering cups, then I'll wean them off of the, the quart water bottle with a small basin on it. And for the most part, most of the birds pick it up right away. Um... Usually, I'll, I'll only have to fill those cups up maybe once or twice, uh, and after that, they figure out, okay, if I, if I push against this little plunger in here, it releases water. And then I do the same thing uh, when I wean them from the uh, grow-out cages into the layer cages or the adult cages, um, and I'm actually switching them over from the poultry watering cups to water nipples. Um, there are a couple different kinds of nipples available. I use the horizontal nipples. Um, I just found that they, they, they seem to work a little bit better than the vertical nipples. I've had issues in the past where the vertical nipples will get stuck open and they'll leak water all over the place. I haven't run into that yet on the horizontal nipples. Uh, it seems like what happens if I do get one that uh, gets a, a piece of dirt in there or something and it, it holds that, uh, that O-ring open a little bit, that, you know, a bird will come along and they'll peck it again and it'll close it right away. So I've never had an issue with the horizontal nipples flooding any of my manure trays or the cages. So that's what I switched to. I'm, I'm really happy with them so far. Uh, and all the, um, all my cages that have the automatic watering system in them, whether it's the uh, poultry watering cups or the watering nipples, uh, they have a water reservoir that sits on top of the cages and uh, it's basically it's a five gallon bucket that's plumbed with a half inch PVC pipe and it runs down the cages and then into the cages. Uh, the My cages are in three tiers. I have uh, on the top two tiers I use the horizontal nipples 
And on the bottom tier, I found that uh, using the watering cups uh, makes it a lot cleaner for me because what happens is that bottom tier, there's so much water pressure that when a bird pecks at the at the horizontal nipple, it actually sprays some water out. And I was noticing that in my manure trays on the bottom cages, they always seem to be wet. And when, when your manure trays are wet and the poop gets wet, it never dries out, that's what smells. And so what I did was I swapped out the horizontal uh, nipples for the poultry watering cups on those bottom cages, and I haven't had a problem since. So that was that was my fix for that. But there is one other type of water that I want to talk about. I don't use them, um, but I know some people that do, and that's an external water trough. It's basically a trough that hangs outside the cage. The bird will stick its head through the, uh, the wire on the cage and drink out of that trough. I myself am not a big fan of those, uh, basically because I think that Having an open water container like that is just inviting dust and, and feathers and, and downy material and whatnot to get, you know, caught in there. And then, then you've got a mess you've got to clean up. So um, I, really, I really don't care to have an open water source uh, like that. And I don't know, you know, some people use them, maybe they like them, uh, but it's just, to me, that's, that's not my uh, idea of a, an efficient watering system. So I want to go ahead and move on to incubators. Um, there are several different models of incubators out there. You can, you know, start with uh, just like your cages. You can go with a commercial model or you can actually build a DIY uh, incubator. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the commercial models, but I don't really want to go into the DIY uh, incubators. Uh, building incubators is kind of my, my little side thing. And uh, we're going to save that for another podcast. Uh, I think I'm going to do uh, a podcast on how you can, uh, you know, build your own cabinet style incubator, build a tabletop incubator, build your own hatcher, stuff like that. So, but I will talk a little bit about some commercial models that are available. Um, I have uh, four different commercial model incubators that I use. I have two... Uh, Marados. One is a Real 49 series and the other is a Lumia 16. And then I have a Hatching Time uh, CT60 cabinet incubator that works really well. And then the other incubator that I have, it's an older uh, wood-framed incubator. I don't know the model on it. Uh, there's There was nothing on it. Uh, the main reason I picked that up was it's kind of like a novelty thing for me. You know, I love being able to, you know, build incubators, modify them and whatnot. So that's what that thing is going to be. But as far as the, the Barados go, I'm very happy with them. They are uh, solid state uh, incubators. The controls, as far as I, as far as I can tell, they are dead on as far as uh, temperature goes. You know, they're, they're set at the factory. Everything's solid state. So I don't see how they could actually be off. I haven't found any warm or cold spots in them. So I'm very happy with them. The Real 49 um, will hold, oh, I'm not sure on the amount of eggs. I want to say 196, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what they have is a, a universal uh, egg turners inside there that have like a cloverleaf design. And they can uh, hold eggs from 
quail size eggs to chicken eggs to duck eggs to goose eggs, any size egg that you want to place in a burrito, they can handle and incubate. Uh, and then on the Lumia 16, I think it holds like 64 quail eggs. So uh, I've been really happy with both them incubators. They've, they've both done a really good job for me. Uh, I get excellent hatch rates out of them. Like I said earlier, there's no uh, warm or cold spots in them. The only thing I could, if I had to fault a burrito on one thing, it would be uh, cleaning the burrito. And I'm not talking about cleaning the inside of it. Uh, I'm talking about cleaning uh, the fan and the fan blades. Uh, they've got a, a protective shield uh, that keeps the chicks from being able to get up into the fans. Um, you've got to take that shield off and take the fan out and everything in order to do a good job cleaning it. So what I've been doing is I will use all my commercial incubators as incubators only. And then I use my DIY boxes as hatchers. That way, the only thing that I've got to, you know, really clean out thoroughly is my DIY incubators or my DIY hatchers. And that's pr pretty simple to do. Okay, so I want to jump right into brooders. Um, what I'm using for brooders right now are plastic Sterilite tubs. Uh, I believe they're 115 quart and they're available at pretty much any big box store. And I think I paid like around $14, $15 a piece for them. Uh, I'm using three of them right now. And what I did was I fashioned a lid for each of them uh, using one by twos. I basically just framed out a rectangle that'll fit over top of the tub and stapled a half inch or a quarter inch uh, hardware cloth to that. And that just gives me something to set the, uh, the clamp lamp or heating element on top of uh, so it, you know, it's not going to fall into the brooder. And it also keeps the older chicks, you know, that are starting to get their, their flight feathers, <laughs> um, keeps them from flying out and getting out of the brooder. Uh, if you're handy with wood, you could actually build yourself a, a, a plywood brooder. I actually had one before uh, when I had my, uh, my, all, or my wood frame cages. And it was a pretty big brooder. It was like six foot wide and maybe three foot deep. And it was sized. It was designed to fit underneath my large grow-out cages. And when I sold those cages, I let the brooder go with it uh, because with the, the setup that I have now, um, I didn't have anything wide enough for that to fit under. And I didn't want that big brooder sitting right in the middle of my quail room. So I let that go and I, I transitioned over to the plastic Sterilite tubs, which have been re working really well for me. You know, I'll put like an inch of fine pine shavings in the bottom of it and then their feed and water and uh, the chicks seem to do just fine in it. And they're only in there for a couple weeks before they transition over to the grow out pens. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about heat sources for keeping your chicks warm while they are in the brooder. Uh, you have several different options here. And the first one being is a commercial heat plate. I really like heating plates. Um, I think that they emulate a mother hen and that the chicks are very comfortable, you know, crawling under a heat plate to get warm. Uh, the nice thing about them is they only use about a third of the power that your standard heat lamp would use. Uh, they are adjustable, so you can raise them up as the chicks grow. And the thing I think I like the best about them is that uh, the chicks are exposed to a natural daylight nighttime cycle. Uh, you know, during the, during the day when the lights are on, uh, the chicks can see and eat and do what they do. Uh, but then at night, it's, it's totally dark because you don't have any lights with a, with a heat plate. Um, so I think that's a really good option. Uh, the only downside that I can see to a heat plate is if you're brooding, you know, large numbers of chicks, uh, 
the heat plates that I've seen on the market will only handle like up to 50, 60 chicks. I've got a 16 by 16 heat plate, and I think I can fit about 40, maybe 50 newborn chicks under it. But once they start getting a little bit older, they all can't fit underneath it. So what I'll do is I'll actually supplement with a clamp lamp. And that's what I use on most of my brooders is just your standard 8-inch clamp lamp uh, with a 100-watt halogen bulb in it. And that is a 75-watt incandescent uh, equivalent. It's getting really hard to find uh, incandescent bulbs anymore. Uh, but that works really well for me. I'll keep them on the 100-watt the halogen for the first week and a half, and then I'll drop that down to about a 60, 75-watt halogen, and uh, that seems to work really well. Okay, and another option that I know a lot of people use are your standard heat lamps. Uh, I believe they're available anywhere from 125 watts up to 250 watts, uh, and it's a really good option for people who are in colder climates uh, to where they need a, you know, a higher uh, heat output. Uh, the only thing I would be concerned with uh, using heat lamps is to make sure that the receptacle that you're using uh, is rated for the heat and the wattage of the bulb that you're using. Uh, another option that you could use, um, and this could actually be used in your standard 8-inch clamp lamp, is the ceramic reptile heaters. Uh, they work really well. Uh, I used them for a while. I think I was using the 85-watt uh, heaters. And uh, the thing I like about them is they expose the chicks to the daylight and nightlight cycle because the ceramic heaters don't put out any light. So there's your options for heat sources. Uh, I think any of them will work fine. Uh, the biggest thing with heat is to make sure that uh, it's used in a safe manner to where you're, you're not going to inadvertently cause a fire. Uh, another um, piece of equipment that I find is very handy in my shop, and that's a scale. And uh, what I'm using is just your standard postal scale. And I use it uh, for weighing birds. I use it for weighing eggs uh, that I'm going to be incubating. Uh, and I use it for when I'm shipping, uh, for weighing packages. So a postal scale is a good thing to have. You can pick them up pretty cheap. I think I spent like, I don't know, 25 bucks on mine. Uh, and I've had it for quite a while and it works really well. Okay, and another really handy item um, that I use pretty much every day uh, are my egg collecting trays. Uh, I picked up a pack of five of them off of eBay for like $15. And each tray holds uh, 60 eggs. And they're great for collecting eggs, whether you know it's for eating or for incubating. Um, and what I do is I'll actually separate the eggs by color uh, in each tray. So I'll use one tray for my pharaohs, one tray for my Italians, one tray for my, you know, my Tibetans and Rosettas and whatnot. So those are really handy and it's, it's pretty inexpensive. Okay, and another handy item for uh, egg collection, uh, especially if you're going to be selling eggs uh, once your birds start producing, uh, are the plastic egg cartons. Uh, they're available, um, I believe, in uh, 12 or 24 hole. They might even make an, an 18 count. Um, but you can pick them up uh, pretty much anywhere online. Uh, I know a lot of uh, different vendors sell them. A lot of breeders offer them for sale too. So that's another thing that you could uh, add to your list of gear and equipment. Uh, and another thing, if you're going to be butchering birds, um, one of the uh, things that I use pretty much on a regular basis is a good set of shears. Um, I use the Cutco brand, Model 77. Now, they are a little bit pricey. They're over $100. Uh, 
but I've been using those shears for better than five years now. They're just as sharp as the day that I got them and they work really, really well. The nice thing about the Cutco brand is if you lose, uh, you know, one half of your shears or you damage them or they become dull, you send in, you know, whatever you have left and they'll send you a brand new pair. Um, you can get away with using poultry shears for butchering, uh, like the ones that you'd pick up, you know, at the big box stores. I think they're like $15 a pair. Uh, the only thing is, is, over time, you'll probably end up buying more of them because, you know, they're, they're a little bit cheaper product. They're not built as well, and they don't stay sharp, you know, forever. Uh, some people also use killing cones. Um, if you're going to be butchering, you know, a lot of birds at once, um, you can use killing cones like they use for chickens. You, you stick the bird in, head down, and uh, that way when you uh, decapitate them, you can bleed the bird out. Uh, I've never tried them. Um, I don't know how well they would work, but um, I use something. Uh, it's not similar to it, but it's a device that uh, one of our Caternix Corner members uh, designed and built, and he calls it the quail pop. And I really like that thing because you can uh, cervically uh, dispatch a bird or cervically dislocate a bird's uh, vertebrae by using the quail pop, or you can actually decapitate the bird using the same thing. And a lot of my customers who buy, you know, birds for like uh, reptile feeders or, you know, falconry, they want a whole bird with the head on. So the quail pop works really well for that. Uh, and probably uh, another item that I use quite a bit, uh, you don't really have to have this, but um, I compost all my quail manure. I, it goes out back into a compost pile and I turn it. Uh, I turn the pile, you know, once or twice a week. And I, for that, I use a pitchfork. Um, it's probably the one garden tool that I use the most uh, when it comes to my compost pile. Uh, I also have a garden hoe that I'll use, you know, to kind of move the stuff around the pile a little bit. But the pitchfork, for the most part, does most of the work. Um, and, and it works really well for that also. So that brings me down to the bottom of our list of equipment and gear that I would recommend that you guys start out with. Uh, if there's anything else, I'll be sure to mention it in a future uh, podcast. But I want to thank you guys for joining me today. And I invite you back again next week for another exciting look into keeping these amazing birds. Be sure to check out Caternix Corner Community website at caternixcorner.com. Uh, which includes a library of educational materials, a marketplace, and a community of like-minded people willing to help you in your journey with Caternix Quail. We'll see you next week, and thanks for listening.